Zach, right before we hit the record button to this record is, this intro, this is live. Something people. happened outside our window. I, now I'm kind of still in awe. Like our studio, we have a great window. We're on campus here at DBU, and we witnessed possibly one of the most tender embraces that I've ever seen. It was weird. I felt uncomfortable. They didn't know we were watching, which made it worse. Yeah, we should have just shut the blinds. We should have closed our eyes and turned away, but it was like, well, surely it's going to end. It's going to end. It's going to end. I mean, let's just, we, I say we just run the tape. Just play the screen. Essentially, what happened is. You see what it happened was. What ha- happened was, <laughs> this car pulls up, picks up one of our neighbors. Right. And she. But here's the deal. Two girls walked out two of the house. Two girls walked out. And one of them. I guess had this is like her significant other, her boyfriend, whatever. Hadn't I'm seen sure each other in a while. So. I hope it wasn't her brother. <laughs> it was not. <laughs> I can I can clarify and testify that it was not. But she, so both of them walk out. One friend goes straight to the car door, gets in the back seat, knows her place. Not right. in a bad way, but it's just Buckles. like you're not. And is looking yeah, forward. Yeah, she's buckled. And as this is happening, the other girl gets out and embraces the, her boyfriend. We're just going to, I'm just going to. Just say I'm going to put a title on it. Boyfriend. And they hug for. No lie, no exaggeration, 30 to 40 seconds. An obnoxiously like, long embrace. Like, that's like, oh, that's hyperbole. No, like, genuinely, I wish we would have had a timer because it, it was like, I saw it. I was like, watching it. I was like, dude, look at this. You had time to come look. And then we both watched <laughs> for 15 seconds together. And it was weird. And it didn't end there. No. It because towards the end, they started hitting a little sway, just like rocking in each oh. other's arms. Oh. I think that they probably heard some type of love music playing in their own brains. I, yeah. Ooh. And then he, he goes in for the smooch. And their uh, lips are together for about 20 seconds. Yeah. The, uh, people were not joking. Yeah. We're it was, not exactly. It was just weird. This is not hyperbole. I'm just, if I'm in the backseat of that car. I'm uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm uncomfortable. But... We say that because we actually have a PSA about PDA. PDA. Yeah. And where we stand on it. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's weird. If you're married. Yeah, sure. Don't still don't do that. But be careful. Be careful. Be know your surroundings. You're in a you're in a neighborhood. Like there's people watching. It's people a beautiful are, day. People are out walking their dogs. There might have been a kite fire. Yes. Or a frisbee just, thrower. A just, rogue frisbee could have just come whistling through the wind and hit them as they were embracing. Just a naive kite flyer just trying to fly their kite and then you were just weird or a dog a dog walker yes don't defile the dog the dog and the dog walker i mean there are so many things that could be happening so i don't know if there's like different levels of like you're dating you're engaged you're married like those are different levels yes they are but like do they open different doors to pda i think i think in ah i don't i don't think so i don't think so either i I think think, there's one limit and it's like i don't I don't know. Mm-mm-mm. I don't want to see it. I mean, if it's like a handhold, yeah, that's you can okay. Hold your, yeah, hold. Don't hands. be rubbing and like thumb playing or whatever. <laughs> what word was that? Rubbing and <laughs> no, he said rubbing. Rub. Don't be rubbing. <laughs> don't be rubbing your hands together. And just an elongated hug. Yeah, is weird. And also the sway, mm. because you might hear the John Mayer music, but no one watching you does. No one watching you. And er- yeah, and that's weird. And they don't want to hear it. No, and they don't want to see it either. No. So here's our PSA about PDA. It's a no-no. <laughs> and this is an NA. Oh, okay. <laughs> Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe that great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm the co-host of this show, Coop, and I had to stake my claim because last <laughs> on, Wednesday, Coop. I made a mockery of myself come and I had on, to come Coop. out swinging. Zach, how we doing? Hey. 
I'm doing just fine. I, I, kn- I know the slogan, people. You're a little out of breath. I know the slogan. He does know our mission statement. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Congrats. That wasn't scripted. No. I just felt like that was something I had to do. I, I couldn't I run just, it by you. I mean, I just let it happen. Here we go. Hey, but guess what, Coop? Uh, this is your ep- your favorite episode. Today is my favorite episode. I'm so excited to hear done. it. And honored to get to be the one that said the mission statement before it. Yeah, I mean, you're forever. When everyone listens to Mike's episode, it's it's you it's welcoming me. them. Wow. That's big. I don't think that I was ready to bear that burden. I don't think you are either, but you did it anyway. Today is Mike Wilson. He is the senior editor at the Dallas Morning News here in Dallas, wow. Texas. And I think talking to him just opened my eyes to what the newspaper does and what the newsrooms do and what he does. Because I looked him up and I was like, I wonder who the president of the Dallas Morning News is. Yeah. Like, who is leading it? And like, I couldn't find anything. Yeah. But all I could find was the senior editor. And I'm like, man, do we really want to interview a guy that's just reading articles and like, putting commas in there. Right. It's kind of like there's some hesitation leading up to that. Yeah. I feel that. But reached out anyway. And I asked him like what his job was. And he was like, well, yes, I do get to sit down and read some articles and and give feedback on them. But more of my job is deploying my newsroom, my team of reporters out into the community to find the news stories that we want to share with the people. So our, our people are better citizens. Yeah. That sounds like a cool job. And I was like, wow, that's leadership. Anytime someone uses the word deploying in their job description, Mm -hmm. They're probably a leader. Right. And so it's so much more than just sitting down and putting commas in a paragraph, you know? Yeah. And so that's what really opened my eyes. And we got to talk a lot about that, a lot of his job of how he defends the some people in the community who have stories, but they don't they aren't heard because they're not loud voices. Yeah. And we we get to talk about storytelling as well and what what makes a compelling story, how you get people on the edge of their seat saying, What happens next? Right. What happens next? He's a masterful storyteller. And actually in the episode, you won't hear it. I don't think I kind of I think I cut it out. But his dog comes in and like starts barking, mm-hmm. and his dog's name is Story. Wow, perfect. That's kind of in the newsroom. That's kind of like multiple levels of awesome. Yeah, he's great. Got a ton of experience in the newsroom. Great storyteller. Great leader. Here he is, Mike Wilson. Well, Mike, thank you so much for being with us and, and let me ask you some questions in this crazy, busy time um, of the coronavirus epidemic. But I want you to start by just introducing yourself. Uh, what was your path to where you are now at the Dallas Morning News? Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk about, uh, about my work. I am originally from Connecticut and um, uh, grew up there and I went to school in Boston. And then when I came out of college, I went right to an internship at the Miami Herald as a reporter. Okay. And I wound up working in, in Miami as a reporter and editor for about 12 years and then went across the state to St. Petersburg, Florida. And uh, I was a reporter and editor there at uh, the St. Petersburg Times, now known as the Tampa Bay Times. Gotcha. And kind of worked my way up through the editing ranks and uh, and became the managing editor of that, uh, that newspaper. That's cool. Um, so that was, I mean, I just, that only took me a second to say, but it was, that's 30 years of journalism that I'm talking right. about, 12 in Miami and 18 and in St. Pete. Um, and then uh, after my last child went to college, um, I decided to branch out and I got an opportunity to go be uh, uh, the managing editor of a website called 538, uh, okay. which is run by a um, statistician and political analyst named Nate Silver. Hmm. Um, so I went to New York and helped him run that website for a year. And uh, th- that's when I got a call to come down to Dallas uh, to be the the top editor here. So this is my first chance to run my own newsroom completely. 
Well, that's a, I mean, it's a cool opportunity in a pretty cool and unique city. I want to ask you what, what kind of the role or the day-to-day task look like for the top editor at the Dallas Morning News or really any newspaper? Because I think my kind of skewed view of editing is, is me editing or revising my paper I wrote in, in college or in high school. But what is, the, what is the role of the editor at the Dallas Morning News? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, your your view of editing is a good view. That's um, that's what frontline editing is for our our, our editors is to work with reporters and uh, help them um, shape and improve their copy and make sure it meets our standards. But the role of the editor, uh, the person who has the job I have, is is really mostly strategic. Mm. I do read some stories and give feedback on them, especially big investigative pieces or sensitive stories or, you know, major breaking news. I'll look in on those things. But mostly what I do is um, decide what we're going to cover and deploy people uh, to cover those things to sort of set Mm. the strategy for uh, sort of set the strategy for the invasion rather than getting on the lead horse and doing the invading. Right. I get that. Uh, Right. Uh, So um, what I'm thinking about at any given time is what does a community need in terms of a news report from us? How can I use the resources I have to uh, to do the stories that matter the, matter the most? And of course, a big part of it is um, the editor job is a little bit outward facing. So um, I uh, I talk to I make a lot of talks in the community, give a lot of talks, and um, uh, get to know community leaders and uh, try to hear what their concerns are. Represent the Dallas Morning News in those settings, and then the person who's my right hand person is the managing editor and his job is basically inward facing where Hmm. he's working with the staff to produce the best news report we can every day. Huh. That's pretty cool. I I think I never really thought about that as the editor of the Dallas Morning News. I think if I could condense your job, it would be just discernment and discerning where to go, where to deploy people. So what does that look like for you of discerning what we're going to chase after and what we're going to let pass as a, as a news story um, says, what are we going to go after? What does that look like for y'all? Yeah, you know, I love that uh, that formulation. I've all, I've often said that I'm paid for judgment, whether <laughs> right. it's on a given story or on a person that we're hiring, or on whether we should branch out into a new area of coverage or a new way of publishing our work. It's it's about judgments. But um, uh, yes, so the the most exciting part, of course, is the discernment that you put into what to cover and how to cover it, um, and. Uh, we have an advantage now in journalism that we didn't have when I started, which is instant feedback from the audience. Because of mm-hmm. digital publishing, we can tell immediately whether people are reading about a subject, how deeply into the subject they're reading, are they sharing it with others, and so forth. And so you've got this instant feedback loop of this matters to me or this doesn't matter to me. Right. Um, and, and that really drives a lot of our decisions. I prefer, you know, I, I, in a sense, editors have lost a lot of power. Hmm. Over the years, like when I started, the editor of a you know of the Miami Herald was a titan in that city who every day decided for you what you needed to know, right? And and told you, and then gave you really no avenue to 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 give feedback. Huh. Well, you know, now as a as an editor, I'm in a constant conversation with my readers on social media and on a Facebook page that you know we dedicate to them, and uh, on email and so forth. So I'm responding to what they say they're interested in constantly. Huh. The, the the kind of, the thing that we haven't let go of and that we'll never let go of is um, we think we have an important role in sometimes in telling the community what they need to know rather than what they're asking to know. Hmm. You know, you know, so if there is a, you know, we try to comfort the 
afflicted and afflict the comfortable, right? right? And so if there are people who are afflicted, who are suffering, especially at the hands of large institutions or governments, we make it our business to tell the community, hey, something bad is happening to vulnerable people here. Hmm. And, uh, and, and I think um, even though people may not write to us and say, hey, you know, we, we want to know about this or that thing, uh, if we find it out, they always appreciate it because everybody wants a better world. Huh. That's pretty cool. It's such a unique job of that you have a small team of people that you are deploying for the greater good of a whole city, of a metroplex. And so how, as a leader of that team, do you gauge the temperature of, of the city and say, this is what they need to know and this is what they don't? How does the, just the gauging of the temperature work for you as a leader? You know, part of it is, of course, is listening. Um, we we report, uh, we do not invent. And so when we go out into the community, um, you don't have to work very hard to understand that the fate of Fair Park in Dallas has been a long time concern for, uh, for the city of Dallas. Uh, that growth in the suburbs is a big story. Um, that uh, immigration is a big story because of our 40% you know, Hispanic origin community. Right. And, and because of the many businesses that use uh, immigrant labor, uh, here, so it's it's evident living in the community. What are some of the things that that matter most? Um, mm-hmm. And then in a few cases, we um, we kind of decide what we think needs a spotlight. So at the Dallas Morning News, it's a little a little different from some other organizations. It's one of the rare papers where the editor is over both the news gathering organization and the editorial board. Gotcha. All right, and um, the the function of the editorial board is basically to uh, to write opinion articles that represent the, the, the opinion of the institution uh, about things of importance to the community. Um, and th- my editorial board cannot tell the news people what to cover, and the news people can't tell the editorial board what to editorialize about. I am the only bridge to those two uh, organizations. So on the editorial side, we choose areas of emphasis. Like we decide every year or two, hey, this is what we really need to be focused on. And um, lately, it's been uh, teaching children who grow up in poverty, which is a big issue in Dallas. We write a lot of editorials about that and do a lot of research. Huh. And we've also focused a lot on the um, the issue of human trafficking, uh, because Dallas being a major transportation hub is also a hub for the exploitation, particularly of women. Right. Um, so some of those things are just things that we decide, hey, we want to take a leadership role in this. It's not that you have been clamoring for it, but we want you to know. Hmm. Uh, so some of it's responsive and some of it is... Um, us taking initiative. Right. I love the line you said in there is that we don't invent, we report. And then when something happens, we report and we invent. I think a lot of young people, at least, and and people in my generation think that the media or the newspapers are just inventing these stuff. And it's like this propaganda move, but kind of speak into that. What does it look like to report and not invent? Yeah. So, you know, we are a, um, we're a regional, regional news organization serving North Texas. And that's what we've been since 1885. and so we live in the community we cover. We pay the taxes that our politicians, you know, extract from us by force of law. Right. Um, we send our kids to these schools. Uh, and so we, we think it's important for uh, us and our neighbors to cover what's happening in the schools and um, what the tuition costs are and how the state government is funding education. And um, gosh, you know, who, who gets elected to, to these leadership positions where they have so much authority? So it really is a community service function for somebody like us. I think when a lot of people, young and old, think about the media, they think about maybe what they see on cable television or 
um, different kinds of national media outlets. And it's true that we're all media, but we have very different functions in the in the world. Hmm. I think you know one of the one of the problems for for me with with cable TV, which I do watch. I mean, I watch cable news, but one right. of the problems for, from a journalist's point of view is those guys are on that. They're on there 24 hours, and they've got to talk about a story whether there's anything new to say or not. Hmm. And that's a big difference for us. We don't we don't just try to you know put something in the paper every day just because we think we have to say something about it. We're not right. yammering away about these subjects. And inevitably, what happens in these uh, in that media environment is the more kind of titillating or um, or controversial thing you can say, the better your ratings will be. That's just mm-hmm. not the business we're in. Right. Yeah, that's a huge difference. I want to kind of switch the gears into the leadership and the consumption of information because I think information is a very valuable asset for leaders and young leaders and anybody that's leading a team of people in, in the environment we live in. So what what is being informed or up to date with the cultural trends play into someone's leadership potential? How, how do those two things correlate? Hmm. Well, so um, I think being informed and being a good citizen and a good neighbor are they, they go hand in hand, right? We we all we're all participants in this American experiment, right? Uh, and we all have um, an obligation to contribute to it, not just to take from it. And so, in order to do that, I think you have to know what the issues are in your community, in your country. You have to have a say and input into what the leadership is going to look like. Uh, you have a right to have your uh, grievances uh, redressed under the Constitution, uh, a, a right to say what you think, and you ought to exercise those rights. Uh, so if you are not well-informed, how can you do any of those things? You know, you've got to get yourself grounded in the facts. Um, and then, of course, you can't lead if, if you don't know those things, because believe me, a lot of people will not make the effort to do that um, right. or, or uh, you know, have challenges in their life that make it harder uh, maybe for them to do that. So uh, to, to be informed, it sort of gives rise to that notion that knowledge is power. Not that, not that uh, we, we get information because we want to exercise power over others, but because we want to have the power to help shape our lives and our community's life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do not see how somebody can lead um, lead effectively without uh, having their hands on good information. Right. I love that that quote, just knowledge is power. Kind of break that down more. What does that mean for from a leadership standpoint, the knowledge is power? Mm. You know, in, in uh, I guess in my day-to-day work, um, understanding the standards uh, that the Dallas Morning News expects of its journalism and understanding the business that we're in and um, uh, the challenges and opportunities that are there. Um, knowing those things helps me make the decision. It helps me make effective decisions as a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give you an example um, out of uh, you know my journalism experience, uh, and there there are so many. You know, so we're writing an article about a. Um, I'll just say a person involved in a controversy. All right, okay. and. Uh, 20, this this person is um, is essentially criticizing this article for some of his conduct. Okay. Twenty five years ago, through our reporting, we learned that uh, the person was uh, accused of a felony, uh, but uh, eventually pleading pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor that is not really related to the story that we're writing about. So here's where where the judgment where the where the knowledge comes in and the judgment comes in is. In writing about this person, is it appropriate to mention this bad moment in his past 25 years ago? Is that mm-hmm. something the reader needs to know? Is it fair? Is it ethical to do that? And having 
now 36 years of experience making these decisions is essential to my doing the right thing here and giving the reader, making a decision that will serve the reader's interest. My, my job is not to serve that person's interest. I've got, to, I've got to give you the information you need to be a good citizen. And, and that kind of background uh, is, is needed to, to make an effective and, and ethical call in that situation. That's good. I, I love the, just the mindset of you are serving the people and whatever it takes to get the people to the truth and the right information is what you're going to do because it benefits them as citizens. I think that's huge. And that's kind of a, a miss of what people miss of what your job is. So based off of just decision-making, knowledge is power, just young leaders needing to be informed. If I'm a young leader listening to this for the first time saying, wow, I really have no idea what is going on in my city. I, I've, I've realized that I'm being a bad citizen, not being in the know. Um, how do young leaders balance being well-informed and not being consumed with the news or consumed with everything that's going on? Yeah, I mean, even I have to find that balance, right? Because I have a life right. that's, you know, uh, that exists outside of my being editor of the paper. Right. Um, uh, and, I, and I guess it, it probably depends on what kind of leadership you're trying to exercise. So if you want to be a leader in a political context, um, then, you know, knowing your community's issues is absolutely essential. Um, if you want to be a leader in a you know, school government context or, um, or a small business context, then the information you need is um, uh, should come from the, the area where you're trying to, to excel. So you have to be a student, uh, and a, you know, graduate student of whatever that, right. whatever that area is. The, you know, where my mind started to go, Zach, when you were asking about this was talk, talking about young leaders. Uh, one of the things that I noticed in young leaders and in, in myself when I was a young leader was that that question of who am I to lead mm -hmm. or you know, who am I to say or to make a decision. Right. Um, and and uh, uh, I think that's a really common um a really common experience, especially for people uh, whose voices aren't traditionally uh, listened to or, or amplified in our society. Women, in a lot of cases, minorities sometimes come to leadership with questions about whether they should be the ones talking about it. Right. Um, and and my you know my advice to any young leader is uh, if you are in a leadership position. Um, maybe you've been elected editor of the school paper or head of the student government or something else. You know, somebody decided it was a good idea for you to be there. So just step up and say what you think and say, here's, here's where we're going. Um, yeah. You know, just be bold enough to express your leadership. Right. That is, yeah, that's so good. And so how can the, the power of knowledge or the wealth of information play into you having the confidence to step up? Is there a correlation there between the knowledge and the knowing what is right and the confidence to step up and lead? Yeah, totally. And, and there is for me, too. So at, you know, 36 years into my journalism career, I, there are still times when I will get on a call about some issue with somebody where, you know, I, I've only had a chance to scan the email traffic or, or read half the article I'm supposed to be reading. And in every case, it's a disaster for me mm. uh, that if I, if I have not really done the homework and, and done the preparation, I'm not going to be as effective in my leadership and decision-making as if I have. Right. Um, and so just, uh, and, you know, and there's a lot of times where you, you can probably tell from talking to me that, you know, if you pull my string, I, I can talk for, for a little while. So if I have to give a talk somewhere and I haven't really prepared for it, I can get through, but I inevitably end those talks feeling like, ah, those people didn't get the best, right. the best thinking um, because I didn't, I hadn't prepared myself. I hadn't really grounded myself in the issues they cared about. Um, it's just like, you know, in, in, in your academic life, mm -hmm. how, you know, you, you go into a lecture class, if you've really done the reading and you've really thought about it, 
um, you're going to perform so much better in that situation. Right. Uh, I love the kind of the flow there that you introduced was this, if you have the information, it will lead to you being prepared for what you're going into, which will lead to you performing with confidence and then having the output or the outcome of what you really want or what, uh, what your listener or what your consumer wants. And I just love that how information plays into confidence because before we talk, that's, that's something I hadn't thought about. I really just thought of the information leads to the knowledge of power but the fact that information leads to confidence and which confidence is what a lot of our listeners and what a lot of leaders lack uh, is that confidence to just step up and lead. You got to be prepared uh, to lead. So kind of talk about uh, being prepared or walking into a situation, being prepared, uh, being prepared to lead. Yeah, I'd love to do that. And, and I, and I want to connect that with confidence, which is such an important issue. And I'm, I'm glad you, glad you brought it up. You know, the preparation to lead uh, involves, information which you've which you've talked about um, but it also involves um, the preparation to listen so it's not only what you know and what you think but what you're going to take in uh, in any situation right um, none of us I don't think has uh, has all the answers what we do most effectively as leaders is to um, get talented people around us um, surface the best ideas and approaches and then make a decision because that's what that's what people who are being led want. They want a decision and a direction to make right. that decision and give them direction, even if the ideas, if the best idea wasn't my idea um, or if even if the best idea contradicted my idea. Right. That's that's why you have people that you work with. So um, so and it takes confidence both to um, to elicit those ideas from people, to acknowledge that somebody might have a better idea than you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and to and to sort of boldly say this is what we're going to do, but the 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 thing that I'll linger on on, on confidence a little bit is um, I had a friend who told me one time he said, uh, uh, well you know I was talking about a struggle that I was having and he says well where does confidence come from and I said I don't know what do you mean he said it comes from taking risks so if you can if you know you can jump over a four foot you know hole run and jump over it when you're a kid then right. um, and if you just jump over that same that same hole, you'll never find out how far you can jump and you'll never, you'll never take a chance. You always want the re- risk to be reasonable, but right. you gain confidence and you gain competence by, uh, by taking risks. So um, I think that, uh, you know, in, in leadership saying, yeah, let's do this, let's try it. And uh, if we fail, we'll fail quickly and move on uh, mm-hmm. takes confidence. And yeah. builds confidence. Right. And people want to follow confidence. People want to follow confident leaders and people are willing to take risks if they're, they're looking at a leader that is willing to lead them with confidence. And I love yes. that. And, and I think what holds a lot of people back, especially when they're young, is mm-hmm. that just will to take a risk and, and to mm-hmm. take a step out. So what does kind of the mindset have to be? What does it take for a young leader to say, okay, we're going to take this risk because it's not easy. It's hard. Risks are hard to take. So what does it take to take a risk? How do you get to that point? You know, um, I, I don't believe in, um, in foolish risk, uh, right. or risk that could, you know, harm the team or the enterprise or whatever it is you're trying to do. So right. what it takes again is, um, is a lot of preparation and study. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can measure what the risk is and, um, uh, d- decide if we do this, then the following good thing can happen. And so let's, let's give it a try. But if we, d- if we don't succeed in it, then, uh, you know, all will not be lost. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's calculating the risk is a big part of it. And, right. and, you know, I want to inject into this that, you know, risk-taking and leadership, it's, it tends to be associated in our minds with like these 
sort of, you know, blustery, can do no wrong, um, you know, figures from military lore or something. Right. Uh, but I think the most effective tool I have in leadership is uh, humility and vulnerability. Hmm. If people know you um, and they know um, uh, they know that you also live and breathe right. and also wonder how things will turn out, but, um, but show up every day confidently and optimistically, um, that's, people will follow that all day. And mm. what, what I think they're less inspired by is um, absolute rigid certainty right. uh, because who's got that? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I love that. And, and there's a definite difference between recklessness and being prepared in decision-making. And, and if you're down on the floor with the people and they know that you're a real person, they know that you have their best interest in mind. If you lead them with confidence, they'll follow. Yes, and I think, yes. I think that is huge. And, and thank you for pointing that out. That's, that's huge. I kind of want to switch gears a little bit to more of the storytelling side of your job. Cause I think I read an article about you when you first got this job of the, uh, of the Dallas morning news, what, what stood out about you among the other candidates was your love for storytelling and your love for finding that story. And so I want to just ask what, how, what plays into the art of storytelling? What makes a great story? You know, I came up as a storyteller, um, at the Miami Herald and then, and then in St. Pete, uh, learning from some really great, uh, uh, nonfiction narrative writers. Mm. And, um, what, what really drives stories is, um, is conflict. Mm. Uh, and I don't mean, you know, screaming arguments between people. I mean, um, uh, a person who desperately wants something in her life, but has a sizable obstacle to overcome. Mm. Um, and so when, when I'm looking for stories, we can tell, um, in depth in the paper, I'm looking for somebody who's got something at stake and is risking something to get it. It's, huh. you know, it's the, it's a basic element of any story, any nursery rhyme almost that, that, right. you, that you were told as a kid. Yeah. And it's even like every movie that has really encapsulated our generations or all the people you look at star Wars, Lord of the Rings, like any of these stories, they kind of follow a similar storyline of, of what you're describing. So can yeah. you kind of break down story, the key components that every good story needs to have? And, and then how do you write a story that compels people? So, um, it, uh, a story needs a compelling and sympathetic character at its center. Um, it's very difficult to succeed with a story in which the lead character, it, whether it's fictional or true, uh, is um, uh, has has no redeeming qualities or, or is utterly unsympathetic because the the reader doesn't care about the quest or the or the stakes for that person as much. So it helps right. to have a very sympathetic. Uh, main character, and then an obstacle that 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 character is trying to get by. Um, and uh, so, uh, let me stop there for a second. I'll tell you about a story that I worked on that that has these elements. So, okay. uh, you know, in July July 2016, we had a tragedy in downtown Dallas: five police officers killed by a guy by a gunman. That's right. Uh, who, after doing these shootings, disappeared into the El Centro College building and holed up in there. And uh, I, I worked on a story with a writer about the SWAT team members who went in to try to get this guy out. Right. And the main character was the SWAT team negotiator hmm. who was having a conversation, yelling down the hall to the guy for four or five hours. And wow. um, this guy's goal was to arrest or kill the, the bad guy. Uh, the obstacle was the distance, the 20 feet of distance between them and the fact that the bad guy had a semi-automatic weapon in his right. hands. Huh. And so, how, you know, how does this character 
meet his goal. It's almost like Harry Potter, you know, had to play that game of chess to get through a certain stage right. of, you know, his quest story. Um, so right there are the are amazing stakes. There's stakes for that police officer. There's stakes for the whole community. There's already been death and heartbreak. Um, and so how is he going to bring this to a peaceful uh, and, uh, you know, peaceful, satisfying resolution? Uh, so you asked about what are the elements of a story there, you know, there you have it. Um, right. A, a good character, maybe a, a bad character, or a character working in opposition uh, to what he wants, um, and then in in the telling of it, you know, na- narrative is the word narrative is is used a lot. Like, well, people will say in politics, well, that's not his narrative or whatever. But I like to right. think of narrative in terms of just the bedtime stories we heard as kids. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, mom, hey, dad, what happens next? That's what narrative is. What happens next? And effective storytelling is always making the reader yearn for that answer. That is so good. And I think I want to go back to character. Uh, You said making a character that is sympathetic. And it even connects kind of even further back. What you're talking about is hot topics in this area, whether it's sex trafficking, whether it's just the homelessness around Dallas. How do you find characters that are sympathetic? And are they sympathetic to the people of the city you're talking to? Yeah, that's um, so, you know, bringing it back to our day to day work. Absolutely. Um, you know, in the uh, the uh, human trafficking realm, we have been talking to some women who were trafficked and uh, we told through a series of editorials, we told the stories, story of this one young woman who, like a lot of these women, uh, you know, was was in a very difficult uh, family environment, was put out on the streets for her family her family uh, got into drugs and prostitution to keep herself alive and was uh, abused and taken advantage of by the people who make money off of this. Well, she did, you know, incredible work in her life to get released from that life and to, to make a new productive life for herself. Um, And, you know, we wrote this series of editorials. Well, she had some minor, you know, as a lot of these people do had some minor arrests on her, in her past. And in January, based largely on what we wrote, the governor pardoned her. Mm-hmm. And so she no longer has any criminal record. And, cool. and you know, so that's like, if, if there's a person there, you know, if you can't root for that person, you know, who's, who's really been, um, been seriously abused throughout her life and has now put her life back together, then who can you root, root for? So, you know, it's, she's an enormously sympathetic figure, even though um, she's not a perfect person. Right. right. She made she made some choices that were harmful uh, and, uh, you know, w- without a doubt was guilty of the things that she was accused of. But none of us is perfect. And uh, of course, uh, but uh, but, you know, she's she was worth sympathizing with. Yeah. Just a character you can fall in love with. You're sympathetic with that has high stakes. They have a goal. They have a mission. And then this this aspect of what happens next, <laughs> that you're always keeping the reader on your toes. It's almost like you every day when you all are sitting down writing stories, you're writing little movies, like little little stories that could be made into movies or short films. So kind of break down the what happens next factor. How do you imply that into a story? How does how does that affect the reader's attention? Well, so for me as an editor, um, I, I really like and appreciate the the notion of straight narrative, of starting at the beginning of a story and working towards the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of times I think young writers and young artists uh, want to create these complex story forms with flashbacks and flash forwards and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, for, for most storytellers, I really recommend taking people through the action from beginning to end. 
um, there, there will be opportunities to break out of that and to give a larger perspective sometimes, but uh, especially in newspaper writing where people's attention span is, is often limited, their time is limited. Right. Um, I want to take them from, hey, here's how this thing happened. At the beginning of the day, such and such a person, you know, walked into a, an elementary school for his first day as principal. Uh, and uh, as soon as he walked through the door, he found eight inches of water uh, because the thing had flooded overnight. Now he's right. got to get 700 kids into the school and get them educated for the day without anybody, uh, you know, falling and getting hurt and so forth. I mean, I'm making this one up. Right. And no, I, just, I love I just, it. Right. I just want to sort of take you through that day. Where did he go next? Where did, how did he get a big enough mop to clean up that? Mm-hmm. Or who, who did he call at the district to get somebody out there? And what obstacles did he run, run into in that process? Right. And, and always lingering there is the question of, um, and, and, you know, you can always build suspense by reminding the reader it would only be 23 minutes until the children arrived. Mm-hmm. You know, now you're engaged. Oh, my gosh, is he going to make it? Is he not going to make it? Right. So a lot of that is just technique, storytelling technique. Huh. That is so fascinating. And, and even I felt that, too, of like you'll be reading a story that's on page 1A and then it like cuts off because it has to go down to page 8A and then you're like yeah. flipping through the paper and you're like, I can't wait to find out what happens. And right. you have the edit to see why you're, you're reading a paper, but it's real life. Like these are stories that are actually happening. This isn't fantasy. This isn't fiction. You aren't making this up in which you are a great storyteller of making things up, but, but you get to, to tell the stories of real people. So kind of talk about that part of your job as well. You're getting to tell the stories of real people that may never, you may never know unless you read these stories. It's a beautiful part of your job. It's one of the joys of the work is, um, uh, is to uh, give voice to some, uh, some people's stories that, uh, you know, that maybe never would have been told. Um, You know, we're always going to, uh, hear the voices in our pages of the most powerful and important people in the community because of the positions they hold. But it's really important to my staff to go out uh, into the community and uh, talk to people who um, who don't have power or don't have money, don't have any advantages, uh, and to hear how do they make it in this world? You know, how do they, uh, how, what do they, what do they hope for? Uh, what do they, what are they trying for? That's, it's really the, the greatest uh, part of what we do. And, and, you know, we're doing this right now with, uh, with the whole coronavirus story. Right. You know, we've got a town full of really creative uh, people who are trying to, struggling to make it as artists, musicians, and so forth. Well, you know, what are they doing? These are gig workers and there's no gigs right now. So, right. you know, what, what is their, their deal? And um, uh, I'll tell you that uh, the, um, we live in a city that's, uh, as I said, it's 40% Hispanic. It's almost majority minority. Our, our country and our state are, will soon be majority minority. And, and we want to cover the world as it is. I'm not right. trying to make a new world. I'm trying to cover the world that really exists. Right. And newspapers traditionally have given um, disproportionate attention to people like me. Hmm. And not not as much attention to people from other kinds of backgrounds. And I'm trying to reflect the city that we actually live in. So if you're reading my paper, you ought to see the stories of people who are, you know, of people of color, of women who work, and, and this sort of thing. And because and, uh, again, not because I have a political agenda, but because I think it's sort of my sacred duty to show the world that we right. actually live in. You know, right? And what a better way to do that than through through telling stories. You yeah. get to just tell people stories, and this is what is actually happening. This person is very talented, and they're getting to use their talents, their gifts in this way to bless these people. And that's, that's the human nature and it's, it's story. And I, I love it so much. Um, but Mike, as we, as we land the plane and end, I just want to ask you a question. We love asking every leader that we meet with is what advice would you give your 20 year old self? You look at 20 year old Mike Wilson and, and what would you tell that person? What does a 20 year old leader need to know right now? 
So I would tell myself, um, just slow down a little bit, right? I was um, I was really ready to go out into the world and and start my career and accomplish something and and um, you know get get a job and then get a promotion and and uh, and I'm not sorry I did any of that because you know right. that's how it went down. I, I went to work ten days after I graduated from college and I've been in journalism coming up on thirty seven years now and um, no regrets. But if if I could say something to my twenty year old self, I would say. Uh, it it really is okay if you take a few months to go see some friends or um, right. sit down and 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 finish that play you're writing uh, and you know work a crappy job for four hours a day just to put enough food on the table because money doesn't matter that much at that age. Right. I would just I would just say slow down a little bit. They say life is short, but life is long too, mm-hmm. and and you're going to have plenty of time to uh, if everything goes well, you have plenty of time to to shoot for those goals and do the things you want to do. And I think you can be a better, more independent and coming back to where we were before a more confident person. Right. If you go out and you know work on yourself a little bit. Yeah. Confidence is huge. And thank you for, for bringing that up and, and just uh, deploying that to our listeners. But Mike, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it more than you know. Thank you. Thanks for all the thought you've given to leadership. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mike.